This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. This morning, Superior Court Justice Bruce Thomas issued penalties for the Church of God in Elmer for contempt dating back to instructions that were delivered on April 30th in a ruling. And that means that there is a fine of $35,000 for the church, $10,000 for Pastor Henry Hildebrandt, $3,000 for Assistant Pastor Peter Wall, and the church will be locked. It has not been locked yet. We just checked with Andrew Graham, but has not been locked just yet. And there are also legal fees to pay. Let's get some reaction from this. Joining us right now is Ontario lawyer Christopher Kinsinger, who is on the board of directors of the Christian Legal Fellowship, and he's the secretary of the Canadian Bar Association's Constitutional and Human Rights Section. Christopher, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me on, Mike. First off, let's get your reaction from a legal position on what was delivered this morning. Yeah, it, honestly, Mike, it's unsurprising uh, when you look at the history that's been going on uh, with this particular place of worship these past few months. Uh, it, it really was expected that if uh, if, if noncompliance was going to continue at this rate, that eventually law enforcement was going to be left with very few choices. Um, I, I do think that we are um, none of us should be taking any delight in the fact that we are now seeing a place of worship having to be locked up. Uh, when typically the posture of our law toward expressions of religion and worship is one of respect and protection. But uh, I do think that it's, it's good that uh, we avoided some of maybe the more extreme uh, enforcement measures that were taken in other parts of the province. For example, earlier this year, uh, a pastor in Edmonton was actually uh, was uh, imprisoned uh, for a limited period of time due to noncompliance, and then whole fences were put up around the church in question, which were then taken down. So I think uh, going for the, the understated approach here and, and delaying putting locks on the church as long as possible was the, right, was the right move. What do you think this says to any other religious institution that might be trying to participate in gatherings that go outside the restrictions that that province specifically has in place right now? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt, Mike, if you look at the uh, the wording of the judgment and what the judge said, that very much uh, this is uh, an example of uh, deterrence, and they are trying to send a message here that uh, this kind of behavior, that this kind of noncompliance is, is not going to be tolerated. It's certainly, I think, even for the churches that are not engaging right now in civil disobedience, and let's be clear here, the vast majority of them are not, it is very unsettling. Uh, to sit back and and to see this unfolding and to not only experience uh, several months of, of very onerous restrictions, which may well be justified, but nevertheless they are they are non-trivial restrictions, and to have to look now and to see what's happening uh, with other churches that are not complying and that are receiving these kind of fines and these kind of uh, orders issued against them. So I, I think certainly you're going to see uh, certainly you're not going to see a lot of uh, religious gatherings uh, or, or places of worship uh, celebrating this, I hope not anyway, um, and there's going to be some concern about uh, how long these restrictions are going to be in place moving forward. Christopher Kinsinger joining us. Ontario lawyer, 
board of directors of the Christian Legal Fellowship and also the secretary of the Canadian Bar Association's Constitutional and Human Rights Section. And when we look at the Charter of Human Rights, this has been used by a number of religious institutions and organizations that have wanted to go against some of the restrictions, saying, well, here, look at section number two, and then you'll hear, yeah, but there's also a section number one which says reasonable. We we need to establish what reasonable is. What do you see in terms of the way that this plays into the Charter of Human Rights and the Constitution? Yeah, it's a good question, Mike. There's no doubt here by anyone that Section 2 of the Charter is clearly being engaged. And that's because the test for establishing a restriction on Section 2 is very low. All a claimant has to show is that they have a sincere religious belief or practice, and that that practice has been interfered with in a manner that's neither trivial nor insubstantial. The question under Section 1 is much more contextual, and it's much more difficult to predict how that's going to play out. Because one of the requirements to determine whether or not a restriction is demonstrably justified is that it needs to be what we call minimally impairing. So with that, we're looking at what the objective of the law is, and we're asking ourselves whether there would be a less restrictive way to achieve that objective. And what's interesting about the uh, notice of motion that the Church of God has uh, brought back in late March to set aside the order to comply with the Reopening Ontario Act is that they're not just arguing that these current restrictions uh, with the hard cap for 10-person gatherings for religious gatherings uh, is unconstitutional. They're arguing that all of it is unconstitutional, whether that be under stage one, stage two, or stage three. And I think it's going to be more difficult to make out the case uh, that the stage two and stage three limits, which have ranged uh, anywhere between 15% capacity and 30% capacity aren't justified. The, the hard 10 cap, there may be a bit more of a case to be made there, where you have places of worship that have big spaces that can accommodate ample physical distancing. So it's, it's difficult to predict what's going to happen, especially as we are in the midst of a very uh, brutal third wave, and, uh, and, and there are a number of factors that the court is really going to have to carefully balance when this is heard later this fall. And that's just it. It will be heard later this fall. We might be in a very different position then. So take us through what could happen this fall, given that we might not be under the same circumstances. Perhaps there won't even be restrictions against religious gatherings in the same way. That would certainly be the hope. I think we, if we're looking at universities right now, a lot of them in Ontario are planning for a return to classes anywhere from 50% upward. So the hope would certainly be that uh, that any restrictions on religious gatherings will be less onerous this fall or non-existent altogether if we can get to that point uh, to have uh, all adults in Ontario receive, all willing adults rather, to have the second dose of the vaccine by mid-September. Uh, but what's going to happen this fall is I think you're going to see an element there of, uh, of in the moment looking at what the restrictions are and whether or not they're justified, but also retroactively going back to the point where the Church of God and other churches throughout Ontario have been charged uh, under these more restrictive measures. And so it's possible that, in theory, a court could find that the restrictions that placed a hard cap on 10-person gatherings uh, were too onerous, but not the other gatherings. So you may see where churches have been charged under both levels of restrictions, some charges dropped and other charges not. Interesting. We're talking with Christopher Kinsinger, Ontario lawyer, 
on the board of directors of the Christian Legal Fellowship and also secretary of the Canadian Bar Association's Constitutional and Human Rights Section. So in the case today, if, if I'm reading this right, and you're a whole lot better at reading this stuff than I am, these fines that have been issued to the Church of God, they have to be paid within a period of time, and that time would have elapsed by the time we get to September. So could there be a refund if they decided, no, 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 that that actually wasn't just? Yeah, in theory, the court has very broad jurisdiction. Uh, I'm looking at the notice of motion that the Church of God brought back in late March, and I believe this is what is going to be uh, the foundation for the constitutional challenge later this year. And and they're seeking relief under uh, both Section 24 and Section 52 of, of the Charter and the Constitution Act. And Section 24 really gives the court jurisdiction to do um, a broad range of things that they consider to be just. So it's possible that they could decide come fall um, to have the charges dropped, uh, potentially including charges that have uh, already been laid. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Church of God actually pays these fines. And, uh, and if they don't, certainly you could see more contempt of court proceedings come forward in the days and weeks ahead. Would there be anything preventing the Church of God from holding a religious ceremony outside the locked doors? Because we know the doors will be locked. As far as we know, they, they haven't been. We talked with Andrew Graham just about 20 minutes ago, and at that point they had not. But locks will, and, and it will be a physical lock, right, put on the doors? Yeah, that's my understanding. Um, I'm not sure specifically what the nature of the order is at this point, whether or not it prevents the Church of God from participating in drive-in services. Those are currently allowed, as I understand it, under the Reopening Ontario Act. And so uh, I don't believe they have any order against them that would prevent them from holding that sort of service. So that could, in theory, happen. Uh, but otherwise, outdoor religious services uh, still face a very hard cap uh, for those that aren't being held in cars as part of drive-in services. Christopher, thank you so much for helping us to understand how this has played out today and what is still to come in the fall in that constitutional challenge. Please keep safe. Will do. Anytime, Mike. That's Christopher Kinsinger, Ontario lawyer, board of directors of the Christian Legalship Fellowship and secretary of the Canadian Bar Association's Constitutional and Human Rights Section. So the decision comes down. Period of time is given, I believe it's 90 days, to pay the fines. Question is, will those fines be paid? There is still a constitutional challenge, which the Church of God has joined in with two other churches, and that will be heard in September. So there's a lot still to come in this, but you look at the town of Aylmer, and that's another part of this. The idea that it will forever be painted as, oh, that town of Elmer, and what has that meant for businesses there? Or you know, you think you you can go to Elmer for any number of reasons. We do because it's it's kind of in the area, and you wind up either driving through, or you maybe have a, a favorite restaurant or a favorite spot to stop at. Yeah, what what does that do going forward? Are you less likely to go because of just? what has happened and and how things have been portrayed oh that that town of elm it's time to talk with somebody who is absolutely inspiring don't you think we've covered a lot of news stories so far how about a little inspiration for a friday let's meet somebody who is taking on 
a challenge that most of us could never even consider. If you were asked, hey, would you do this? You would immediately say, I don't think so. And that would be the end of the conversation. Please welcome to London Live, Jillian Best. Jillian, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on. That is good to hear. Now, we're going to talk about the physical shape that you are in and why you are in such great physical shape. But let's kind of lay out what it is that you are doing and why it is that you are doing it. You are going to swim where? I am going to swim from Niagara on the lake, 52 kilometers across the lake to Maryland Bell Park in Toronto this summer. That's uh, that's not something that you typically just, you know, hey, I think I'll do a few laps of the pool. This is more than a few laps of the pool. So let's talk about why you have chosen to do this, because there's an excellent reason. Jillian, why have you chosen to do this? Sure. Um, there's, there's definitely a couple of reasons. Um, and for those listeners that don't know, um, I am an organ transplant recipient. I had a life-saving liver transplant just over five years ago. Um, and this has um, definitely given me a different purpose in life to give back. Um, so that's that's the main reason I want to do it. I want to uh, raise awareness around how important it is to become an organ donor um, and promote healthy living after transplant to honor our honor our organ donors. Um, and of course, I love swimming. So I figured pairing um, something that I love to do with my passion and desire to give back to the transplant community um, was a good way to um, to raise awareness and funds for organ transplant. That's fantastic. We're talking with Jillian Best. Jillian, we can go back to even before five years ago. We can go back to when you were 15 years old and were mm-hmm. diagnosed with something that you wouldn't find in a spelling bee because it would be too hard. Can you take us back to how your life changed right then? Yes. Um, so it all it all started uh, when my mom had her first transplant. Uh, she had a liver transplant in 2004. And as you said, that's when I learned uh, that I had HHT, it stands for hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia. So that we learned that was in the family. It's a blood vessel malformation. Um, and it caused my mother's liver and my liver to fail eventually, um, causing causing damage and requiring a liver transplant to survive. Um, so my, my first, my first symptoms were early twenties. I was, um, experiencing abdominal pain, um, experimental medication to prolong the need for the transplant. The drugs worked for a few years, but eventually I became sick again and I was put on the waiting list in May of 2015. So there was quite a few years there where I was battling illness and, um, and, and yeah, a lot of ups and downs before I had my transplant in 2016. When you are living and, and not feeling well day after day after day, can you take us through what that is like? Yeah, it, um, it was a really challenging time. I was, uh, as I've said, it, it was not in a great space mentally, um, knowing that I would need some great intervention for me to live. Um, and, and having having pain was, you know, I'm sure we've, we've all experienced some pain, but to experience it day in and day out um, was a real challenge 
obviously physically and mentally. Um, and, you know, you just, you never knew when the day would come where the organ transplant uh, would come. You, you're waiting on the list and you're, of course, waiting for somebody to die um, to, to receive their organ, which is a whole other kind of thing in itself, you know, some experience guilt around that. Um, I, I didn't have too much guilt about that, but, you know, it was just, it was a very heavy in lots of emotions um, at that time, being sick and kind of, kind of being out of your control and just sort of having to wait for your time to come. And hopefully it does come because I know a lot of, a lot of people die waiting for an organ transplant every day. We're talking with Jillian Best right now, and Jillian is going to be swimming from Niagara-on-the-Lake across Lake Ontario to Toronto in support of the Move for Life Foundation. And you can go to moveforlifefoundation.com if you would like to donate or if you would like more information. Jillian, when you did find out, because like you say, there there is no, okay, well, this is going to be in May of 2019, or this is going to happen on this particular date. You don't know when a transplant might become available, when an organ might become available. When you found out, how quickly does the process go from you getting a call to you being in the hospital? In my personal case, I happen to be in the hospital. So sometimes, uh, the patient is at home and they get the call and they go to the hospital. But for me, I was actually already in the hospital. So when they, they came to my room and said, Jillian, the liver has become available. Um, it was literally a half an hour later that I was in the OR. So it was, it's a very quick turnaround. Um, and of course, there's only so much time that once that uh, organ is harvested, that it's 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 good to transplant so they they definitely want to have it you know as quickly as possible have that process as quickly as possible so um i was you know very excited very quickly it was such a such a crazy uh like hour before i went into the operating room my mom was recovering from her liver transplant that she'd had her second liver transplant just two weeks before me and she was four floors below me in the transplant unit recovering. So I quickly got in a wheelchair and went down there and told my mom what was happening. And then I was taken off to the operating room to have my transplant. So you can imagine the emotions at that time and um, <laughs> just sort of a whirlwind of what was happening. And um, I can say I was, I wasn't scared at that time. I was, I was excited because I knew I knew that I was going to be in a better place than I was, um, you know, previously because I was so sick and there was no way to live. So, yeah. <laughs> when you finish with a transplant and you finish with the initial recovery, how long did it take before you had one of those days where you wake up and, and you say to yourself, you know what, I don't feel too bad today? Yeah, so the recovery was, quite a while and and I would say about a year after my transplant I started feeling a lot more like myself but the day when I would say I woke up and felt like wow I I feel I'm feeling like myself completely it was probably a good a good year and a half after my transplant and and the moment that stood out the most was when I stood on the podium at the world transplant games in 2017 
um, which was about a year and a half after my transplant. And I had won my first silver medal at the World Transplant Games. And I thought, wow, like, I'm obviously in a much better place. I just competed at an international competition, won a silver medal, and feeling fantastic. So I would say, I would say about that moment, that was, that was a pretty exciting time, exciting time to, to realize that, you know, this, this organ transplant completely changed my life and brought me, you know, a new passion and something to live for and, and, and uh, another reason to give back. We're talking with Jillian Best, who is going to swim across Lake Ontario, raising funds for the Move for Life Foundation. And again, you can find that website, moveforlifefoundation.com. That just shows how special a swimmer you are, how good you are. What has the training been like for something like this? Because it's it's not working on, all right, I'm going to be swimming a a 50-meter fly here. Uh, This is is more more of a... a 50 kilometer I guess it would be freestyle or or do you use a few different strokes to get across oh most of it will be freestyle for sure I imagine I'll have moments of wanting to just you know maybe switch it up lay on my back and do a few strokes of breaststroke but um, my most efficient stroke my fastest stroke is freestyle so that's what I'll be that's what I'm mainly training for um and yeah, the, like you said, the training is much different than what I would do for a uh, pool competition. Um, my focus has has been, of course, mainly swimming, but also some strength training to ensure that I'm not going to put any damage on any joints, um, particularly my shoulders. And I want to ensure that my core is really strong. Um, and the one thing that my coaches keep telling me is, you know, you want your stroke to be as efficient as possible as efficient as possible because swimming that far um you know if you're not swimming correctly that's when injuries can happen so of course my training has been lots of distance and lots of stroke correction um and just putting a lot of time in the water have you done a lot of swimming in the lake? Because I'm thinking, hey, you know, we saw snow falling from the sky and landing on the ground pretty recently, and you're doing training for a swim, and this can't all be in in the pool, can it? No. Um, so the pools have been closed for a majority of the year. So when the pools are open, I've been doing a lot of pool swimming, uh, especially when the lakes were, like, frozen. Um, however... <laughs> Since this, the the uh, third lockdown here in Ontario has began, um, I've been doing some swimming in a backyard pool with a tether. So it's basically like um, a bungee cord, and I'm swimming against resistance. But I've also been swimming in the lake. So I, it's been a, a cold spring for me. I've spent a lot of time shivering. Um, but it's actually really great training because there are parts of Lake Ontario that can dip down to uh, 10 degrees and I need to prepare my body for that I need to prepare for the worst and hope for the best so so um, so even as you're swimming along even though it's summer and we think oh it's 25 degrees outside this is great yeah <laughs> nice little nice little swim across the lake there are going to be pockets where you kind of swim into them and and that can happen 10 degrees it can happen, yes. So generally in August, the lake is around 70. It can, I think it can get up to about 74. But um, the lake has a tendency to flip. Um, so there's different pockets in the lake that are a little bit cooler. 
And I've heard, especially as I approach Toronto, there's a wind that kind of turns up the water and it can be kind of um, uh, windy. There can be a current there and it also turns up the cold water from underneath. So I might be swimming into some cold water near the end of my swim. And yes, it can get down to about 10 degrees. Um, I, maybe I'll get lucky and, you know, that won't that won't happen. But like I said, I kind of have to prepare for it just in case. So some of the, these cold swims that I've been doing have actually been very beneficial. Jillian, before we let you go, what do you plan to to do? I mean, it, it's not like you can take along music for the time that it takes. You're just, <laughs> are you alone with your thoughts this whole time? Yeah. Yes, that's a great question. Um, for a lot of my training, I've purposely not been listening to music um, because I do want to get used to what that's like to be kind of in my own head for hours at a time um so it's been a it's been a great experience you know a lot a lot of meditation that helps too um because you know i want to be able to do this without going crazy and um you know just in my own head the whole time that being said i do have a lot of support out there there'll be um a few boats with with my support my my team and my crew so as as alone as i might feel in the water i'm not going to be alone out there um but yeah, a lot of, lot of time in my head, that's for sure. Do you have a date pinpointed just yet, or do you have to kind of wait until we get into a you know, a different spot to pick an actual date? My, my proposed date is August the 3rd, and I'll be starting at night and hopefully finishing on the 4th. Um, so that can change. Um, you know, the, the weather is sort of... In, in control. So if, if there's a storm that blows in or it's, it's too wavy, then I'll have to, to pick my rain date, which is later that week, the first week of August. Um, and hopefully everything can go to plan, you know, due to COVID restrictions and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's, that's what we're aiming for, August 3rd. Jillian, you are an inspiration in so many ways, not just getting onto the podium of the World Transplant Games, but sharing your story, and we really appreciate you sharing your story with us this afternoon. Uh, hopefully we can check in a little closer to the date, but in the meantime, head to moveforlifefoundation.com for more information on how you can help out. Jillian, keep safe, and uh, good luck with the training. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. That's Jillian Best. Jillian is a liver transplant recipient and is now going to be swimming from Niagara-on-the-Lake across Lake Ontario, about 52K into Toronto. And the proposed date is August the 3rd, and again, that will all hinge on how the weather is doing and how the rest of our world is doing. All right. If we get past June 2nd, maybe golf, maybe tennis, legally, because people are, are doing both, not as legally. Golf, tennis, some outdoor sports for the kids, maybe some patios. And then you start thinking about leagues. Yesterday, the OHL said we're starting October 7th. The CFL has said we want to start August the 5th. And we've had provinces that have said, okay, we're ready. Go for it. BC and Ontario have not. And this week, 
Ontario's Minister of Heritage, Sport, Tourism, and Culture, Lisa McLeod, made it quite clear that not only is Ontario not signed off on this, uh, they don't appear to be as close as you might imagine for the CFL to be talking about an August 5th start date. Joining us right now from Global News Radio 640 Toronto is Greg Brady. Greg, what do you make of hmm. the minister's comments this week? A lot, a lot. I will say thanks for having me on the show. And and me coming on your show and you making a banana rana re- uh, reference is up. <laughs> it, that's an upset. I don't know if it's upsetting for the audience, but it's. Uh, it's an upset. And and really quick, if you can find somewhere for me to play tennis illegally, I think the great thing would be have two guys of equal ability or girls, and whoever loses the match pays the, the provincial fine. I mean, that's high stakes. That's a high stakes. That's not match. bad. You Jimmy know what? Connors, that's not bad. Jimmy because Connors we, we talked. Betting, Jimmy Connors used to go to betting shops in England, and he'd bet on himself. It's in his autobiography. He played, They didn't know who he was. They're like, who's this guy with the bowl haircut? And he would bet on himself. It's not Pete Rose. It's the other guy. And he would bet on himself to win matches. Amazing. <laughs> and he won um, a lot of matches. And he did. Yeah, he, he got rich. Um, uh, yeah, the comments are, 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 to put it bluntly, bizarre. Um, I, I read that. I read the comments from Lisa McLeod. I... I worry about the, the, some are, some concerns are bigger than others. One is that it didn't seem like she knew that the the Grey Cup's now in December and that the league's already made some time-based adjustments, much like the OHL has, as you you know right away, being the voice of the Knights. That's about three, almost four weeks after the season usually starts. Um, so the the Grey Cup's in the middle of December, and. Um, and I, I just think uh, they're not going to play with no fans. So she says, well, I just can't see fans being there. That's the whole point of the league delaying things is to allow fans to get into the venues and, and park and buy beer and buy hot dogs and buy merchandise. It's not going to happen. That league will not sustain itself without fans being in there. And it just speaks to everything we're going through in Ontario right now, Mike, in that by the time most of us are fully vaccinated, and I think some some of us being partially vaccinated, we want options. We want the options to go or not to go. We've got great envy and jealousy of what we're seeing in the United States and to some extent in Europe about what those countries are doing. And we can still be proud Canadians and say, um, why aren't we doing it a little closer to how they're doing it? And, and, and at least giving people options like we're, we're canceling things that are three and a half months away. The landscape of our entire province and country could look a lot different in three and a half months. Sure could. And and give us a roadmap. I know we got a bit of a roadmap from the federal health minister today. But, yeah, give us give us a little bit of a roadmap. The thing that has to stand out and I'm, I'm not sure why this is, but it seemed as we were following the Ontario Hockey League and the way that things were and were not developing for that league throughout the winter, there were a lot of times when you would hear Dr. David Williams speak or you would hear Lisa McLeod speak and you would think, do they know what this league is? Dr. David Williams talked about the the men and women who played in the WHL at one point. I thought, does does he know what what this is? And hearing the fact that you know you don't know when the Grey Cup has been laid out. No, this this is your role. This is your job. These are these are the things you need to know, aren't they? Yeah, exactly that. And I'm sure it would have been laid out um, that the CFL and, and their commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, would have made it very, 
crystal clear. I don't think they've done everything perfectly, not by a long shot in the last 15 months. They had a very ham-handed uh, effort at, at gaining federal support last summer um, when it was pretty clear the league wouldn't play. And they didn't. And that when asked what they, how they would distribute the money involving the CFL Players Union, they, you know, they really hadn't done all the homework that could have been done. But no question, I'm on the side of the league in terms of them needing more of an advocate in government that will say, um, uh, you know, we want to do everything possible to make this happen. I mean, Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm just stuck on the irony. Last year, maybe even around this time, we had John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, and Doug Ford, the, the, the premier, wanting the Blue Jays back. They're like, let's get our Blue Jays back. That was People can Google this and look this up. They wanted the team back when Major League Baseball started in mid-June. And it was Justin Trudeau and the federal government that said, geez, I, I don't know, guys. We, we don't think this is necessarily the best thing in, in, in the world to do right now. Now, then, we might have had 120 cases a day, maybe 140. We weren't, we weren't cresting in, into where we'd, we'd really grow exponentially with the virus in um, late summer, early fall when school came back. Now, the time is, 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 to me, is now to start being proactive and start being, like Lisa McLeod describes it as ambitious. And I'm like, that's a good characteristic. If I, just, if I get described as ambitious by my high school teacher, I actually think that's a good thing. And ambition used to be good. Like, let, I want a politician to say, I want these teams back. Uh, you know, the mayor of London saying, I'll do everything possible to get the Knights playing again by mid-October. And he probably has said that already, so I'm not saying he hasn't. But I know I'm not hearing it from the province right now, and it, it, it maybe it just doesn't jive with the messaging. Um, they've made people think the outdoors are more dangerous than they are. They've talked about mobility. Mobility means nothing uh, until you get out of the car. doesn't matter. I, I could drive to London uh, from, from where I am in Toronto, Mike, four times a week and see my parents, and I've, I've logged a lot of mobility. But if I don't go indoors, I've, I've created a I'm, I'm partially vaccinated. I'm a danger to no one. So it's what you do when you get out of the car more than anything else. I'm just not hearing confidence, ambition, proactiveness um, from our politicians right now. A lot at the municipal level and certainly at the provincial level to get these outdoor activities back for people. They've canceled the CNE, which is in late August. What if you're fully vaccinated and you want to go? I don't get it. Yeah, everything in Toronto is is basically done for for now, it looks like, in terms of events. We're talking with Greg Brady from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. So what is it going to take? B.C. hasn't done it. Ontario hasn't done it. Do we have the Red Deer Ticats and the White Court Argos and maybe the Lethbridge Red Blacks? Does that sound about right? Let's move west, young man. Yeah, it just seems like it's too long, and I think the OHL ran into this too, didn't they? Uh, it's too long a time to bubble to play anything that is significant in terms of, of drawing um, a, a television audience. And we know as great a job as TSN does as, as their broadcast partner, uh, I think that, I think it's eight million dollars. Like that's not a million dollars per team. That's the that's the check that goes out to the nine franchises. So it'd be less than a million per team. Um, and when you count on Gates, look, they've already shaved down the season from nine home games to seven home games in the regular season. So you're, and I assume the, the players will pay the brunt of that and will only get, you know, 14 game checks instead of 18 game checks. So I, all I can say is I, I hope people are, are loud about this. Um, you know, despite my illegal tennis crack, I'm not encouraging civil disobedience of any kind, <laughs> but I think we can be aggressive with our, with our language, um, while still being, uh, maintaining a civil discourse. And, uh, and I want to, I will say this, I want to hear more from 
the NDP and the Liberals. I put a video out on my Twitter page yesterday. Um, Forty-five thousand people watched it, um, where I encourage the NDP and the Liberals to to get, like band together on this and say right is right and wrong is wrong, and put politics aside and say the outdoor restrictions, um, which aren't happening anywhere in Western Europe, anywhere else in North America, are wrong. But I also, I, you know, I just want people to have have some, like I said, some proactive nature to the idea that. The whole concept of this, uh, Mike, four months ago was, you know what? These vaccinations will be miracles. They'll be great. Let's vaccinate our most vulnerable people and let's and let's determine who they are in a, in a line and, and go from there. And then the rest of us, as as our levels of confidence grow, can get back at it. And if you're not as confident as I am, if I'm not as confident as somebody else, that's fine. The options are there and the choices are there. And for what might be good for you so far might not, but maybe I'll think I'll wait three months and do that after, after I'm fully vaccinated, which is August 4th, maybe I, maybe I won't have a meal inside in a restaurant in August, but, but I'd like the chance to think about it and to consider it. Maybe I don't want to take my kids to a movie until middle of September, but maybe I do. Like I want these choices and I want you to have them and I want all the listeners to have them. I don't think that's asking that much. No. Greg, thanks so much for having this discussion right now. Keep safe over the weekend, and uh, I know you won't be playing tennis, but uh, maybe we can find an old Jimmy Connors classic match somewhere. Happy to, yeah, YouTube's a wonderful uh, uh, creation. And happy to mention, I'll be leading into your show on uh, 980 next week uh, for all five days, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon, believe it or not. Look forward to it. Greg Brady on the Bill Kelly Show all next week on Global News Radio. Greg, be safe. Same, Mike. Have a great weekend. Same to the listeners. That is Greg Brady from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Next week, you'll hear him on the Bill Kelly Show, 9 to noon. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.